0: Welcome to Whoology, a real-world theology podcast that breaks down episodes of Doctor Who, hosted by myself, Fizz, and my lovely Whovian wife, Laura. Hello. Well, this is episode 9 of Whoology, and on this episode, again, convenient, a theme throughout this season of Mm -hmm. convenience, we are talking episode 9 of season 8, which is entitled Flatline. Well, on this episode, we have... I guess an adventure that, to me, harkens back to older episodes of Doctor Who. And I say older, I don't obviously mean what it's being referred to as classic Doctor Who. I, I would talk about uh, like maybe Eccleston or Tenet episodes. Mm-hmm. Almost like a standalone monster, and the monster is actually part of the threat. It's not just something that's kind of there while we work through character building Mm -hmm. of the doctor or the companion
1: it's the focal point It,
0: it, it is it is pretty much the focal point and so it's like a reverse of most of what i would say most of the episodes we've seen this season are which are there's monsters which are not the focal point the focal point is whatever theme or relationship between you know uh doctor and clara is being I don't know, trying to bring to the forefront or mm-hmm. trying to be conveyed to the audience. Whereas in um, uh, this one, like I said, there is still some of that going on. We're getting some of that character development, but it's actually the thing that is also happening to the main focal point, which is the monster, mm-hmm. which I think is a, a pretty great shift.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I prefer episodes <clears throat> like that. I prefer um, for the story to be built around a central conflict and then have your character building or have your motifs your... Uh, your themes come into play because, like, surround that story rather than it being flipped, like you said. I feel like the story's stronger when you start with, like, an external central conflict and it hints at things on the edge that aren't, you know, um, yeah, that aren't necessarily the the central focal point.
0: Well, I think it also doesn't kind of serve things up to us. I don't want to say as if we're stupid, but... It's a natural progression of understanding characters through their surrounding environments as opposed to feeling that we're supposed to be spoon-fed some type of
1: mm-hmm. something. This is how I'm feeling right now. Yeah. This and, is what this makes me feel. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I don't, don't get me wrong. I really enjoy the occasional, like the, the monster is the, or the, the dangerous situation is the secondary story. Um, the, you know, the occasional, this is really about two main characters and us developing their conflict or their relationship or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I want that to be the exception, not the norm. Yeah. And I think I didn't realize it until this episode that that's one of the things that has endeared me to, you know, Eccleston and uh, Tennant episodes, and to a certain degree, uh, sporadic Matt Smith episodes. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, I guess that does kind of talk about what we've hinted at since Stephen Moffat has taken over. Mm-hmm. He has such very straightforward themes that it's almost undeniable that he's trying to do something mm-hmm. very blatant.
1: And and the story is being written maybe around that. Yeah. Um, you know, which is, I mean, I'm glad that there's a thread that ties everything together. I think that's cool and it's really hard to do over a long season. Mm-hmm. But um, I just feel like, The writers that I really enjoy are the ones who can make that so seamless, who can make it happen without you realizing it's happening. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's a little obvious for me. But that being said, I enjoyed this episode. It reminded me of a tenant episode called Fear Her, which um, I really enjoy because it has um, like two dimensions um, involved in, in, uh, you know, whatever's going on. And I do like that it gave the opportunity for Clara to show what she has observed in the doctor because she has to take his place. And so she does things the way that he would do it. She's asking, always asking herself, how would he do this? What would he do? Um, She even has this moment where she leans into um, this, this one character I'm sure we'll talk about who is very unlikable in this episode Um, and she says, I'm, you know, I'm your only chance in getting out of this. If you want to be alive, I'm your only chance. And I feel like that's something that the doctor often says that if you want to get out of this alive, you better listen to me. You know, I'm the one in charge. Um, so it was interesting to see just through the way that she handled the situation, what has she picked up from the doctor? So she takes charge, she lies to people, um, she counts the cost and she does things, um, with an end result in mind, rather than maybe trying to save everybody. Uh, so it was interesting to watch that happen.
0: Well, and I, I really, I enjoyed this concept. Like you, you, are, you mentioned about having the different dimensions. Uh, I thought the bad guy was interesting. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like, it's a thing that is known through the universe for blowing things up. Um, so here's another blowing things up in the universe monster, Mm -hmm. you know, it it showed some creativity and I thought it was done well visually. It was pretty imposing, uh, pretty, pretty scary. Yeah. And ultimately it did lead to this thing that we're obviously going to have to spend some time on, which is basically the doctor is trapped in the TARDIS and he doesn't really get to be the interactive doctor. Mm -hmm. He's only interacting with Clara. So Clara gets to basically be the surrogate doctor. Mm-hmm. And at first, I, I'm seeing what you're saying where she usually asks what the doctor would do. What would you do in this situation? What would you do? What would you do? But it's interesting But by the end of it, she's she's basically become her own doctor. But it's just basically her own flavor of the same things that she criticizes about the doctor.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, because... Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not even sure I would go so far as to say that it's her own flavor of the doctor because I feel like she just imitates what he does.
0: Well, like I said, I would... So when we talk about um, the pressure of being in charge, like this, this episode kind of made me think of in, in, in real life, I often default to being in charge. Mm-hmm. I like being in charge. I think I'm pretty good at being in charge. But I don't think what a lot of people realize, and it sounds like a complaining for being in charge, but there's a lot of pressure with being in charge. Especially mm-hmm. if you if you're if you're in charge and your your goal is to help other people mm-hmm. or to facilitate others. And it reminded me of this story that I would tell about post-church lunch. No one likes to be in charge, so <laughs> I step up to be in charge of post-church lunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, look, I need a place where we can get 10 to 15 people to go um, at the same time. You know, in America, almost everyone's going out to eat for mm-hmm. lunch, so you have to find a restaurant that you can get in. Don't have to have a long wait.
1: You can all sit together? You Can all
0: sit together without having to wait for tons of tables to be moved? Mm-hmm. You can eat for a reasonable price because there's some people who can afford a little more. There's some people who can't, and you don't want anybody to feel excluded. So, how answer. D- yeah.
1: Mexican food. Mexican food, yes.
0: <laughs> um, so what I would do is be like, how can I... Um, obviously, I'm not saving the world. I'm not...
1: Lunch is very important.
0: But lunch is very important. And making everyone happy is my equivalent of saving, saving the world, including as many people. Not, not excluding anyone. No one dies mm-hmm. from lunch. You know, No <laughs> one dies from lunch. So what happens is... And, you know, maybe one, maybe one Sunday I want something besides Mexican food or maybe one or two people want something besides Mexican food. Well, there's complaining. There's like, why do you always do it this way? You know, why are you in charge? Who put you in charge? Why are you making this decision? And I I would feel like the doctor basically does like looking back and he's like, what's your plan? Mm -hmm. You know, what can you do better? You know, like there's just some things about being in charge that make you the bad guy Mm -hmm. no matter how much you're trying to help or how much you're trying to save. And that, and that's like a new perspective for me on like them going through this character art with Clara and showing like her trans you know, her complaints about the doctor Mm -hmm. and her eventual understanding or, well, I don't think she's quite there to understanding, but we can see, Mm -hmm. uh, we have an understanding of what it looks like when someone tries to step in and fill the doctor's shoes. Um, obviously Clara didn't really like it in kill the moon mm-hmm. getting, having to be the person to make the decision where we're going to lunch. You know, she was very, she was quite cross. <laughs> um, and so now she's even, you know, she's relishing it because she's winning. Yeah. But at some point being the doctor means you can't win all the time. Um, and we see what the, the time war has done to the doctor, or, you know, over time mm-hmm. like being done it. Um, so we don't we can't understand what that toll is, and so she also doesn't realize how it kind of makes her a jerk at times, because she's having to put the the good of the whole above the good of individuals. Mm-hmm. So she does have to lie. You, you mentioned a whole bunch of things she has to do. I made a list. You know, I was like she makes she takes action. She tells people to run. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, she uh, does whatever she can to save her companion's life, even if her companion's doing something noble, mm-hmm. where she uses the hairband um, with uh, mm-hmm. Um And she's, she's got, she kind of belittles him, you know, makes fun of him for trying to do something noble. Mm-hmm. But she, he's still for the greater good. Um, she uh, admits it's okay to kind of give people false hope. And then the doctor kind of reminds her... People with hope run faster. <laughs> hmm. uh, you know, she she has no problem taking charge. And like you mentioned, she mentioned uh, she kind of leans over to Fenton at one point and says, uh, "I'm the only one who can get you out of this mess." Mm-hmm. You know, so she, and then she
1: pulls out like a last minute harebrained yeah. idea that works and, perfectly. <laughs> and, and then she and then just
0: like the doctor would say of himself, he's very clever. She does something mm-hmm. clever to save the day.
1: So is the I guess Mummy on the Orient is. That's the transition episode between Kill the Moon. I mean, it's in the middle of Kill the Moon and Flatline. Mm -hmm. So that's her transition between um, why did you do this, Doctor? Why did you make me be in charge? I can't believe you abandoned me. To, um, you know, I don't need you. I've got this. It seems like a very drastic leap. Do you think that Mummy on the Orient was a, a good enough transition was that a good enough uh, a strong enough middle
0: well i I would say on the surface no but this is where I can understand someone would have a very different opinion than I do mm-hmm. because I think the way that doctor who is told right now there's a lot of development and relationship understanding that we're not getting to see this isn't um with time that's passing Mm -hmm. um because like in in like with matt smith and amy and rory like we would pick up and we'd be like oh well there's an understanding that they went on like five adventures Mm -hmm. since the last time we saw them all together you know and some of them were fun some of them oh man they did this dangerous crazy thing that they mentioned off camera Mm -hmm. but none of those things were developing the relationships between or uh you know, fostering conflict typically Mm -hmm. with all those people. Or if they did, we got to be along for the conflict ride.
1: Right. From beginning to end. There was no like, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like in these episodes, it feels like there's a lapse of time in the middle of this emotional turmoil, this Mm -hmm. relational angst that we're not seeing. We don't see when he and Clara make up so that she's Mm -hmm. back on the TARDIS. And we don't really see her... I mean, I guess um, I might need to watch the end of Mummy again uh, to see really how true this is. But I can't remember off the top of my head really a a time where she really grapples with, I was wrong about this, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. I think we missed the the I was wrong with it. Mm -hmm. I, I think where it where I could, like I said, where I understand people who think it is a good transition or think it is enough of a transition because I do think it is a transition. Mm-hmm. I think in Kill the Moon she's upset. Um, I think in Mummy she is separated from the Doctor and she's forced to kind of be 50% Doctor. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, she's forced to do what she has to do to get, you know, Person A to the right place for the Doctor to be the Doctor. Mm-hmm. So she's kind of half the Doctor. And so that's That's in between, and in this episode, she's basically, I mean, she's carrying around the TARDIS in her bag, Mm -hmm. and she's talking to the doctor, but the doctor isn't interacting with people. She is the surrogate doctor. Mm -hmm. So she's, you know, I would say she's 95% doctor at this point. So we see, you know, uh, rejecting doctor, 50% doctor. More or less 100% Doctor. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot of things that should have been happening that we got to be along for the ride on mm-hmm. in between those episodes. This is my same complaint when we um, when we watch The Caretaker. And we get this, like, ah, because I love him mm-hmm. speech. And, like I said, I don't think it was earned. But I'm also under the uh, understanding that there was, pro- you know, between... First Danny Mm -hmm. date and caretaker episode. There's been a lot of There's probably time, time, Mm -hmm. dates, you know, things we missed. And we're just supposed to understand that that was that progression. Mm -hmm. And like I said, but those are the things that if you really wanted me to care about their relationship, if you really wanted me to care about Clara's progression, I needed to see more of it Mm -hmm. personally. But at least
1: the moment when that, when that happened, where it went from like, oh, we're going on dates. to like we're a thing we're in love. Yeah. To where
0: like, I can, like, we can tell she's in love before she can tell. Mm -hmm. This one, she told me she was in love before I felt she was in love. Exactly. And I think most great love stories, you know, before they know, Mm -hmm. um, but if I'm taking this story and I'm making a storyboard or an arc for a season on a whiteboard, I can see where they like put this, and they say this has to happen in this episode. Mm-hmm. This has, ha- and you see the progression. I just I need personally more. Mm-hmm. So you know, when you ask, is it a transition? You know, uh, is it a transition? You know, does it kind of work? Yes and no. Mm-hmm. So all that ten minute speech <laughs> for yes and no.
1: So <laughs> thank you for being so thorough in your exactly. answer. <laughs> Well, all of that aside, I think I've I've already, this is, I'm feeling deja vu. Um, There was a a lot of things I liked about this episode that were, that were in some way separate from what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Like Claire realizing things about herself and her relationship with the doctor.
0: Well, and further down the road we get, we're obviously going to be able to, you know, retroactively Mm -hmm. notice things we didn't, so. Mm
1: -hmm. So I really liked, um... When at the end of the episode, the doctor jumps out of his TARDIS and he is he's the doctor that um, that I love. You know, there are aspects of of the doctor, my favorite doctor coming out in him that he's offered them a choice. You know, he's tried to get to Mm -hmm. know them. He's tried to give them the benefit of the doubt. And they have shown themselves to only be, you know, cruel, heartless villains. And so he says, I gave you a chance, and this earth is protected, and you can't be here. And he, in a great show of force, saves the day. Mm-hmm. And I, I love seeing that. And sometimes I just, sometimes I do miss the simplicity of um, there's, there's a villain, there's a monster, and it's bad, and I'm here to protect you. You know, mm-hmm. I'm someone that you can't be. I'm someone special and clever and powerful, and I'll take care of you. Um, so I like seeing that.
0: Well, I, I want to. I do want to point out that I think the resolution. Well, I think they came to the conclusion that they could not conclude if they were tr- if the these two two dimensional beings were truly like evil or malicious. I think they just couldn't get them to stop even if they were doing it by accident. So he had to banish them. Mm-hmm. So he, but that doesn't negate the choice that he tried to, he's like, I tried to communicate with you, you know, cause he's like talking to himself. I, mm-hmm. I tried to give you a choice. I tried to try to talk to you and you still did this thing. And so even if you don't mean to be doing it, you're still doing it. So you can't keep doing this or you'll take over the world and that can't happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's not that it negates what you're saying because I still agree with what you're saying. And that's one of the things that I love about how this resolves. And how it almost seems insulting that at the end, Claire's like, I made a pretty great doctor. You mm-hmm. can just admit, I was good. 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 is my Claire impression. Um,
1: uh, is she from Boston? I don't
0: know. <laughs> hey, yo, I was good. That's like New York. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm from, I'm from friggin' Boston. I was I like good as a doctor. Yeah, that's, that's Claire from Boston. So these are terrible.
1: Okay.
0: Um, so... You know, so uh, so she's doing this. She just wants validation, validation, validation. And it, like I said, it seems insulting because she got people to that point. We figured the thing out, even though the doctor honestly was figuring yeah. most of it out um, along the way. And he ultimately was the power at the end.
1: To save the day.
0: That of course, dis- he, could,
1: he couldn't have done that unless she had given him his power back.
0: That's true.
1: So there's still an element of what we enjoy seeing in the the companion doctor relationship, which is that they need each other. Yeah, they can't it do it alone.
0: It's uh, equal, but or uh, separate but equal. Um, one of those things that people hate. Um, except now we're we're not talking gender roles this time. We're talking about just uh, doctor companion roles. Mm-hmm. Um, equal but separate. You know, separate. They do separate things, but both are equally necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that balance um, because. On a first look, and I think we've talked about this with episodes of Doctor Who without before Whoology, you know, I think at a, at a glance it looks like the companion is the weaker, the submissive, mm-hmm. the, you know, always needs to be saved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think if you really give Doctor Who as a series a look and you watch episode after episode, you realize that the Doctor, his weaknesses are pretty, pretty grievous. Mm-hmm. And without the actions or the conscious or whatever the companion brings to the table. Like the doctor's at his worst when he doesn't have a companion, mm-hmm. when he's lonely or just sulking for 400 years or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. And we've seen that happen a lot with yeah. various companions. Donna saying, please mm-hmm. don't travel alone. You need yeah. somebody.
0: <laughs> um, so the, the only other thing that I really wanted to, to hit on with this episode is the doctor, I guess being separated and not having to put on maybe a front for the people that he's interacting with he seemed much more sympathetic to humanity.
1: Mhm. Yeah. We're,
0: since um he wasn't like I mean he still at the beginning was calling uh Riggsie a pudding brain and stuff and you know Claire's like you know he can hear you right you know like uh Yeah, but, but also
1: at the end he says he says something to Rigzy that seems out of character to some degree, mm-hmm. if we base if we base that on or if we're comparing it to other interactions he's had with other humans, mm-hmm. um, he says, you know, basically you saved, you know, your art saved the world. I can't wait to see what you do next. Mm-hmm. And that's that's pretty, those are pretty strong words coming from the doctor. Yeah. Um, so it's good to see him affirming humanity, affirming some of the things that um, have to be there in his and how he feels about humans otherwise he wouldn't travel with humans
0: not only that but what he says to fenton at the end and like i said this is where i was reading reviews and stuff and and the there are people who have really enjoyed some of the episodes this season a lot more than i have or you know i know you have and they've especially in the last two episodes these speeches that the confrontation speeches have really just put me off. Mm -hmm. I feel like you have a pretty solid episode and you have this really weird, semi-unwarranted kind of speech um, that doesn't sit very well. And to me, in most cases, once again, I can understand the arguments. I've read the arguments. I've discussed the arguments for the other side. So I'm not saying one's right or wrong necessarily, but for me personally, it hasn't fit. And this one I thought was the most earned and best kind of wrap up mm-hmm. speech um, when you, you know he has something to say to Fenton, and he has something to say to Riggsy, and then he has that kind of like you're not all that and a bag of chips, Miss Doctor Clara, you know mm-hmm. uh, speech. And so when he, when he says this thing to Fenton, uh, uh, well, actually when Fenton walks off, and he kind of uh, the doctor implies that maybe the wrong people lived mm-hmm. um, when Fenton goes out to make his point that you know the people who died were in community service anyway so they're all criminal they deserve what they got Mm -hmm. Uh, you know we all hate Fenton Mm -hmm. we're like he's such a
1: jerk and he was he was a very interesting addition to this episode because I feel like I feel like in Fenton's presence um we like next to the doctor I started to see some of what I have kind of written off as the doctor's callousness and cruelty towards Mm -hmm. humans. And next to Fenton's and the Mm -hmm. way that Fenton views humanity, I was beginning to see that the the way that the, that the doctor views humanity maybe isn't cruel, but it's just honest, Mm -hmm. you know, that this is true about you guys. And um, this is true about your race, about your culture. This is true about the situation that I can't Mm -hmm. save everybody. So even if it feels calloused, it's not cruel, and I and that's something I was able to see when he was he was opposite Fenton, and Fenton really was just cruel.
0: Yeah, I think one of the biggest things with Fenton that sticks out to me uh, is that since doing real world theology, since looking at films thematically, since really diving into characters' motives um, and representations of you know just where those characters have been, where they're going, and how they interact with others. I've noticed that if there's a character that I hate or a character that I get angry at in almost any story, I'm usually angry at them because they're probably a lot like me. Hmm. Um, And when I say me, I do mean me personally, but I also mean like us as humanity. And I think that as much as we hate Fenton, like I, like, I couldn't remember what his title was. And we talked about this before the show. So I just put Fenton, the a-hole. You know, <laughs> like, that was going to remind me who he That's is. That's the qualifier. He's the a-hole. Mm-hmm. Um, so the problem with that is his, his view is there are people who were not as good. Um, they deserve to die because they did something wrong or dumb. And basically he thinks he's better than them. Mm-hmm. So he has, his, he has created a morality He's created um, a, a system of justice, and he has conveniently placed him to, at himself at the top of the pecking order. Mm-hmm. And while I would venture to say that not many of the people I know are that blatant, I think we all do that. Mm-hmm. And I think um, our belief system points out that we do that. Mm-hmm. We make idols. We judge others. We pride ourselves and take pride in things that we have no business taking pride in. Um, almost anything we do, you know, uh, I like Pepsi, you like Coke, so obviously I'm better than you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I use Mac products, you use Windows products, I'm obviously better than you. You deserve to die, mm-hmm. you know, um, and while that's a joke, I've, I mean, I've heard people say, Pretty ridiculous things, you know. Yeah. you like this sports ball team. I like this sports ball team. I wish you could die. I would have never said anything like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Never, never, never,
0: but um, never hy- hy- hypothetically. <laughs> so, that's um, um oh, are you well? I'm say that, so. I think that's human nature, and mm-hmm. I, I think we all hate him, but honestly, if we really reflect on we it, we can
1: identify with him.
0: I think we don't want to, but we should.
1: Yeah, well, I, I really like um, the. I also like the comparison or the juxtaposition of Rigsy and Fenton because Fenton is the rule follower who says, if the council doesn't approve it, you know, we're not going to let it be here. Mm-hmm. And Rigsy is the one who's doing um, community service because he's not a rule follower. And but he's so, a carer. Yeah. And he and Fenton, um, oh gosh, I just thought was what I was going to say um, Fenton has no imagination, which they. They, they point out, point out but because you... yeah, they say you have to be, have completely no imagination to, not to not be fooled by the um, psychic paper. And clearly, Riggsy has an incredible imagination, and he's incredibly artful. Mm-hmm. And I really like, I love the like the bringing in of that kind of art. Um, it's very pure and a, a really um, just a really pure expression of self. And I love how they kind of included that in the way that the creature started becoming 3D. The look was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the the art itself is a little bit beyond the point that I'm trying to say. Um, Ringsy was maybe a representation of some of the qualities that we can have. He's you know he's heroic. He's willing to sacrifice himself. Um, and Fenton is pretty much only care you know only cares about himself. So even though we we should be able to identify with some of the aspects of Fenton. I think we should also, or we could also be able to identify with things that Riggsie, um represents, the, yeah. the better of humanity. And you can see the way that, um, and sometimes, you know, in Doctor Who, we get our impression of um, what is good and bad based on what the Doctor condones and what he condemns. And we see at the end how clearly how he feels about Fenton and how he feels about mm-hmm. Um So maybe that's the kind of human that he's... He's wanting to be with, that he's, you know, that makes him want to travel with humans.
0: Well, I think if we weren't running out of time, we could explore it further. But I think that shows that though we enjoyed this episode, you know, I don't think we think it was like one of the best episodes ever, but it was enjoyable. There was a lot just packed in this episode Mm -hmm. of this average feeling episode Mm -hmm. and so we do encourage you to continue talking but we want to quickly very quickly talk about some things we didn't like about the episode what 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 kind of stuck with you what
1: uh off the top of my head since we're running out of time the only thing that comes to mind is that Clara answered the phone when Danny called and she didn't, she answered at the worst possible time. There's no reason why she should have answered the phone at that time and mm-hmm. not sent it to voicemail like she does at the end. Yeah. Um, and it was just ridiculous because she's telling him these lies like she has before that are stupid and make no sense and there's no way he's going to believe them. So why is she doing it? Yeah. It just felt like a plot device to reveal to the doctor that he, she was lying to the doctor. Or
0: did she want the doctor to know no, that was actually my dislike too. I was yeah. like this is this is ridiculous. Like you're swinging from this conveniently, you know, hanging chair mm-hmm. in this room and why, <laughs> why why would you answer the phone? Like in what like you're supposed to be smart. Yeah. Like th- that's not even
1: Maybe it's like that thing like when addicts um like are things are getting really out of hand and they like kind of want to be noticed, but they they don't know that that's what they want, so they're, like, being sloppy and making mistakes. Maybe she's sort of, su- you know, subconsciously making mistakes.
0: Yeah. Well, it was it was silly. So, okay, <laughs> but we end on a positive note. What, what was probably your favorite thing from this episode?
1: Um, oh, I just, I guess I just liked seeing the doors of the TARDIS flung open and the doctor saying, I'm here to save the day. <laughs> I enjoyed seeing that because I want to love the doctor.
0: I understand. (laughs) Well, um, so this is another, the audience could be split about it, but I did enjoy the Adams Family thing hand when he was trying to save himself (laughs) out of the TARDIS. Yes. Because when he was like, I can't get out, I was like, I I literally, I think I said it out loud. I was like, he can still fit his hand. Like, he can move himself. (laughs) And then she's like, yeah, just do the thing. And I was like, yes. (laughs) Um, But my absolute favorite, I mean, there were so many, I think there's a lot of good one-liners from like Mm -hmm. when he was stuck in the TARDIS. And uh, I love the fact when I think it was Rigsy, he was like, oh, it's bigger on the inside. And the doctor said, like, I don't think that has ever been more true. <laughs> you know, like it was just this one little sideline. And yeah. I was like that.
1: Is... Oh, I really liked the line about pie, too. It's like.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, it's like pie.
1: <laughs> Not but, the edible kind. The circular kind. I see how that could also be pie. <laughs> so. Yeah.
0: There's
1: um, some. Continue to be some good.
0: Yeah. I was. I laughed out loud.
1: Good humor here.
0: So. Um. We want you to continue this conversation with us. Uh, Like I said, we just want to not make this run too long. So uh, if you have comments, questions, go to realworldtheology.com slash whoology, or just go to realworldtheology, find these episodes, uh, comment at the bottom of them. Let us know what we missed. Let us know if you basically are in that other camp that disagrees with me on everything. Um, cause I'm fine with that. Like I said, I've, I've had some of these conversations. I've read some of these things. Laura and I have both have, and, um, we don't disparage either of them. Um, we just, like I said, we just love talking about Dr. Who, mm-hmm. um, and what people are getting from it. And that's the beauty of, uh, that's the beauty of who it doesn't have to be just one thing. Yeah. Um, there's, there's lots of things there.
1: It's um, versatile.
0: It's versatile. <laughs> so, uh, check out the show, review it on iTunes. Uh, download it, subscribe to the podcast, uh, get it from our website, check out Real World Theology um, over at the website. And I would say that if you like our theme song, it was written and recorded by Sindar and Relic. You can find more about Sindar and Relic at SoundCloud.com slash and Relic. And until next time, we are reminding you to always take a banana to party.